Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, oh, it's a cracker. I sat down with Johnny Dean of Menswear and I'd, I'd recorded with Johnny before on the Hardcore Listing Podcast and he's such a fascinating guy and and, and I knew this was going to be good and, and it really is and you're going to have a wonderful time listening to this Um is super funny and uh and yeah we, we go to some places that i didn't think we'd go and uh yeah if you're a fan of peter gabriel then i suggest you uh you, you listen out for the uh the gabriel chat um before we get on with this podcast um just uh, a quick thanks to scroobius pip and everybody at the distraction pieces network um and also thanks to 76 for producing this podcast um if this is your first time listening to Off The Beaten Track, then um, when you get to the end, um, go and have a look in the archives as well because um, there's over 150 episodes with some of your favourite musicians, actors, comedians, producers, all talking about their creative journeys and, and the records that have soundtracked it. So uh, you can go and listen to, to bundles of stuff over there. Um, as well as that, I do have a Patreon page where you can support this podcast as well and get access to a further 150 or so episodes and radio shows and videos, episodes and stuff. Um, you can find out about all of this uh, off the beaten track podcast.com. Anyway, let's get back to today's episode. Please enjoy off the beaten track podcast with Johnny Dean. It's off the beaten track podcast on the distraction pieces network. With me, Stu Whipping. Right, we're recording. Sitting opposite me today is Johnny Dean of Menswear. Hello, Johnny. Hello. Um, well, this is we've already press record, and then um, we, we are recording on one of the hottest days of the year. And so uh, Johnny has been uh, walking around his house, turning off various fans, and he's currently sporting a kind of kimono. I, I thought, Hugh Hefner, you went for Bruce Lee stroke. Lawrence from Denham. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've got lockdown. I've got lockdown hair as well. Oh, your hair's looking good, mate. Yeah, I don't know. It's cut. Look, it's, it's turning into like a bob. It's all right. You're wearing it no. well. You're wearing it well. Oh. <laughs> I feel this heat is disgusting. This is the only word for it, isn't it? We've uh, we've already discussed the fact that um, <laughs> Johnny's feeling oh. oppressed by the weather at the moment. Um, it, is, it is oppressive. It's, <laughs> it's horrible. I'm, I'm an Englishman. Can't be dealing with this shit. (laughs) (laughs) 
Seriously. Well, we've not seen each other for a, a couple of years. Um, last time I saw you, Johnny, was when you come on a hardcore listing podcast uh, shortly after um, Bowie had died and and you counted down your top five um, Bowie records. So I'll be... Uh, yeah. I, I, I'll be interested to know if he's going to feature. That was a uh, classic podcast for anyone who's missed that. That's classic. It was. It was. It was really good, and it was. And and ever since then, um, I, I, we actually recorded top five uh, rock and roll uh, documentaries um, a little while ago, and both Chris and I both said, sort of reflected back on the, the chat we had with you, and said. A film about menswear will be the most epic rock and roll film ever. Like I don't know, you know. I think a lot of people would have problems believing it. Yeah. For a start, and I kind of, I'm a bit worried it'd end up like the Bross documentary. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it could go that way quite easily. What did you make of that? Oh, I thought it was amazing. That for me is one of the top. That would be in my top five music documentaries. Easily, easily, easily would be in there. It could even be number one. I mean, it's. I've never seen the likes of that. It was incredible. I just. It's the fact that I guess you know in in you know if you watch a, if you watch one about the Who or or, or Fleetwood Mac or these kind of rock and roll giants, there's there's yeah. moments where there's. You know, drugs and, and 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 people die, and it's like a, a tirade of emotions. That Bross one also gave me a bundle of emotions that I still haven't worked out. If it was, if I felt sorry <laughs> for them, if I felt like it was... I, I, yeah, I know what you mean. I was pretty speechless, <laughs> um, but there was a. It's just some of the. It's so quotable, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's more. It's probably got more quotes than. Spinal Tap, and that's a mockumentary. Yeah, I mean it is. It's phenomenal. If not, and people people listening to this haven't seen that Ross documentary, you really must see it because it is <laughs> something else. It's something, it's something else. I mean, when they start going on about conquers, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. conquers, mate. <laughs> it is so. Brilliant. I think he's so... Um, and they don't, they don't know, do they? They don't seem to know no. how funny they are. That's the genius. That's yeah, the genius. Yeah. It's like when, when, you know, people tuned into the, the office for the first season and thought they were watching a documentary and were like, yeah, whoa, yeah. hang on, hang on. And it was, <laughs> if you just stumbled across that, you'd think it was a mockumentary just yeah, because absolutely. people don't, People are more self-aware than that. Yeah, and people don't say those things either. <laughs> no. Normal people. <laughs> people have had normal lives. Don't Absolutely. say those kind of things. It's that. It is gold. I bet the guy, the guy making that must have been like, this is gold. Yeah. Like, it, and it looked like he didn't have to push too hard to get that gold. No. He <laughs> <laughs> have to dig too deep, did he? There must be some incredible outtakes there. The stuff yeah. that like didn't make the cut because through fear of just being too horrible, like, I don't all know. out, just just out there. Yeah. I mean, they're pretty eccentric guys as well. I think. Yeah, those two conquers, uh, mate. Con- conquers, mate. You know, conquers. It's banned. You're not allowed to play conquers. <laughs> We've got to do something. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Let's talk records, Johnny. The song with the greatest ever intro. Yeah, um, so I'm going to go back to Bowie. 
and say station to station. Oh, nice. Which is just, I mean, it's a very long intro, but it, it's great how it builds. It's like a slow build. And the song has a lot of changes anyway, but the, the, I just really, really like the, the intro. Very moody. It's kind of like post-Barrett Pink Floyd in a way. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's like a prog song. That you, you wouldn't look uh, odd on a prog album, um, and it always reminds me of the film Christiana F. Have you seen that? No. Okay, it's about um, it's a German film classic, and it's about um, teenagers on the street in Berlin in the seventies on heroin. Okay. So it's, it's a jolly subject. <laughs> uh, it's based on a true story, actually, um, um, and there's a bit in it where they go to a Bowie concert. And it's that whole beginning, but live of station to station, but on, on this huge stage. They, and it's just incredible. It's just an amazing sequence. And Bowie walks on during this intro, you know, to come and do his lyrics, to sit, do his singing part. And he looks so good. He looks probably the coolest he ever did. Nice. And he's kind of done up like a kind of uh, James Dean rebel about the yeah. course, that kind of the red Harrington and jeans. He just looks the dogs um and it's just with that intro it just works so well um you you should watch that if you're up for being really depressed one evening oh i I love i love a bit of bleak british cinema this is german yeah yeah, but it's brilliant even just for that so i think you'd probably be able to see that sequence on youtube because people love it it's really really good but that that intro is fantastic so I always ask musicians um, about intros, and and when you when you'd approach writing intros, um, uh, 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 I guess when you know you you put together a many somehow and daydream, uh, um, what 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 was the intro something that you was you was kind of like key to what was radio a consideration um mm-hmm. and and i know obviously you, you still um make music yourself in the studio and stuff and how do you approach writing music now as you would have back then because there's so many ways that people listen to music now that is different yeah. to, to to you know the way that people would hear about music and, and find out about new records you know in the formative years of menswear so i just want to know how, how you approached it back then and was there pressure from a label to kind of give you you know because there was a lot of indie music it was very sort of lots of pop sensibilities in in, in british indie music around the time of menswear and and, and the brit pop mm-hmm. you know uh scene so it's a very long-winded question here, Johnny, and I've been doing this question for about two years, and I still can't quite nail the questionnaire I want it to sound. But, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> what was the sort of uh, um, approach with, to with, it? With our early songs, um, with our early songs, we didn't really consider it at all because, I mean, Daydreamer, we wrote in a bloke's kitchen in Dagenham. Um, he thought he managed us, and he kind of did a Andrew Lou Goldman and said, I'm going out to work, and I'm, you're staying in the kitchen, and I'm looking in our house, and I want you to have written a song by the time I come back, and buggered off. There was no food in there or anything in this house. Um, so in the end, all we could do was do that, and we wrote Daydreamer. Who was that, um, you and Chris? Me, Chris, and Stuart. Yeah. And um, we didn't consider at that point, we weren't even a full band then. 
it was basically just the three of us. Yeah. And um, <laughs> we didn't, I mean, then I didn't even think we'd, I, it was, you know, it wasn't clear cut I was going to get a deal or, or anything. Or it was, you know, ending, ending up on the radio or in the charts was just insane, really. I didn't actually think all oh, this is going to end up in the charts or anything i just we just wrote these songs had the hustling started by then were you around the clubs telling everyone um, you were pop a, stars at that point yeah about that point it was starting yeah. to yeah um so we we did we wrote some songs <laughs> but yeah i mean it's the first song i've ever been involved in that daydreamer in my whole life and it went to number 14 so i didn't expect that to happen no one's going to expect that to happen to be honest i didn't know they, that menswear was going to do what it did I, I would have been happy just to have plodding along being a little kind of indie band yeah but everything just at that point in the 90s everything just went mental i mean it really went quite mental um well there was so much money being thrown around um that anyone who was looked a certain way had a certain haircut, you could get a you could get a deal easily. It's it's, it's crazy. I, last weekend I went away and I um I don't know if you've read it, but I read a book. Um, I can't remember what it's called. Um, Phil Savage. Um, oh yeah, about his time at Savage and Best and Britpop. And yeah. yeah. Have you read it? No, no, but I've I've heard about it. I, I mean, it, it's it's quite gross. Like you know, it, it's it's uh, it, it it doesn't sort of depict that industry very kindly. Uh, no, and it, but at that point it was it was pretty. It's like you know, infested with sharks. Yeah, basically. and that comes across. Uh, and, yeah, and and, and and you know, as I interpret it, he he doesn't come across very well either. Um, <laughs> and, uh, he's all right, Phil, but yeah, he's a businessman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's apparent. Um, yeah. and, and by the sounds of things, quite a good one. Um, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, he knows his he knows his stuff. Yeah, and uh, yeah. but um, but uh, yeah, and so and 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 that was it. And and uh, well, let's let's pick up on that a little bit later because I, I want to know about um that that kind of impact of 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 fame and uh, a, a little bit later. But let's let's kind of. Um, go back to the sort of uh, earlier times first, because for track two, Johnny, I'm going to ask you the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. That one, this one's easy. This was very easy because it's um, th- this song blew me away when I first heard it, and I'd have been seven, about seven years old. It's um, "Our Friends Electric" by Gary Newman. Right. Um, and the first, I can even remember where I was. I was on a landing of the house we lived in, in a little village called Great Wakering in Essex. Tiny little, tiny little place. And I was standing on the landing, and my brothers used to listen to the charts. They were a lot older than me, and they used to sit in their bedroom and listen to the charts and tape it. Uh, Bruno Brooks. And uh, I can remember just standing there, and that coming out of the bedroom, this, this, this like basically like a wall of simps coming out there and just thinking what is that because it didn't sound like anything i'd really heard before i mean it just sounds enormous that record i mean there's hardly that much on it but those the simps make it sound really 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 big it's such a fat sounding simp yeah they? yeah and, and it just blew my it literally it just blew took my head off and i, I was just like wow um, you know, you, that's when I first realised that in it, sort of something in me clicked, like a little cog turned, and I just knew that 
that's the kind of thing that I wanted to do one day. Uh, but yeah, that that record. What was very the emotion? Important. Just um, awe, I think. Um, real awe, and and just kind of a little bit confused because I've never really heard anything like it before. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a pretty out there for its time yeah. and it pretty groundbreaking. I mean, I'd never heard of John Fox had already be doing stuff like this with Ultravox mm. a bit, but I'd never, I hadn't heard that stuff. My yeah. brothers didn't know about that. They weren't playing that John Fox stuff. So yeah. I didn't know about that. So Newman was the first time I really heard synths being used in a rock and rock and roll, really heavy industrial way where it just overwhelms you. Did you get to see, like him doing that on top of the pops or anything. You mean when you first saw Newman? Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I can remember seeing him on on the television and just thinking he looked really, really strange. Yeah, yeah, like really odd. Was you kind um, of drawn to to that? Like, yeah, 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 very. And I always have been. But as a kid, um, the first thing I remember seeing, the first musician I remember seeing on television that made an impact on me was Mark Bolan when I was really young. Um, and obviously he didn't look quite regular for yeah. the time and glam. He looked, I thought he, at first he was just this, this lady. Yeah. <laughs> this, this blouse with long hair. Uh, it took me a while to figure out, you know, actually this is, that's a bloke. Yeah. Um, I think that's the first time I realised that this that was a job as well. <laughs> that yeah. People did that for it as a job. And I just thought, yeah, that's pretty cool. Imagine doing that as a job. Yeah, I like a bit of that. Yeah, how can, I mean, my dad comes home knackered. Uh, you know, he doesn't look that guy. He looks like he's having the time of his life. Yeah, you know, that he, looks, he was. Also, <laughs> yeah, it also kind of looks really easy. Yeah, but, yeah, it isn't obviously, but compared to someone slogging it, so it, it, it's it's an easy job compared to a lot of jobs. <laughs> So you mentioned older brothers and stuff and, 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 mm. and your folks and that. Was was there lots of music on at home growing up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were quite a lot older than me. My parents, weirdly, didn't really play music uh, at all. My dad didn't have any music at all. I think he had some cassettes that someone had done for him in the 1960s or something. Yeah. Um, my mum had a few, like, soundtrack albums for musicals, mm-hmm. <laughs> like West Side Story and stuff and hair um but yeah it was mainly my education musically came through my older brothers uh, and the stuff they were listening to um that that had a bigger impact on me and was and also, also one, one of my brothers was a huge beatles fan well before it was well before the 90s and stuff when it became far more popular people forget um, that it was uncalled to like the beatles for quite a long time wasn't it yeah yeah i mean they were a, they were a pop band yeah um they were a very commercial pop band. People forget that. People look at them now as if they were, at the time, they were seen as this alternative, amazing thing. But they yeah. weren't. They were a pop band. They were, they were a boy band yeah. with guitars. They really, really were. Um, you know, I can. Mem- I remember reading that they, when they started to change and write music, thinking about writing and stuff around the time of Revolver. Apparently, Bob Dylan, they played it to Bob Dylan, and he was like, I get it, you don't want to be cute anymore. Um, really? Yeah, because he, he saw, even though he was kind of jealous of their success, yeah. to him they were, again, just this boy band. plastic boy band type affair. Yeah. 
you know, they weren't making really good music that he considered to be, you know, worthy. worthy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which was what Lennon always wanted to happen. Yeah. He always wanted to do that. And, and McCartney. Um, and now they're seen as that. Mm. Yes, that's a really good point. Like you, you, you know, I, I guess they were a boy band, and and people look at them now as as Radiohead, and you know this like yeah, yeah. kind of progressive. I mean, obviously they were groundbreaking. They did yeah. a lot of things first, but a lot of that's down as much as much to their producer as it was yeah. them. I um, do. I think it's interesting though when you look at the time span the Beatles existed in, and the progression within that time period is ridiculous. Like, yeah, you yeah, know, and to release such a, a vast amount of music that was evolving, I guess evolving as technology was evolving, and obviously, as you mean, like you know, what George George Martin was, you know, obviously sort of messing with as well. And I, I don't know if there's that many bands that have put out such a huge body of work in a short space of time. That's maybe the Smiths, you know. Mm. Um, I- it's, I think it a lot of it is down to them being first. Yeah, you know, when you, if if you're the first band like that, the first big pop band, everything you do is going to kind of be new. Yeah, you set the um, benchmark. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of that was kind of an advantage for them in a way. Mm. Um, but you can't deny that once they started knocking out like. 1966 and after that some of the stuff they they did was just insanely good yeah and i can't imagine what it must have been like to hear a lot of it on the radio for the first time can you imagine like hearing tomorrow never knows for the first time yeah it would have been mad it would would have been insane it would have blown your tiny mind easily yeah yeah it would have been shocking hello i've interrupted the podcast again haven't i Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there... I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. And- Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. I'm going to talk school, Johnny, and I want to know the song that reminds you of your time at school. My school was quite far away. You know Essex. My school was in Rochford. Okay. So that's a bit of a trek from Wakering. Yeah, from Wakering. So it's quite a long way. And we used to have to get these. these Is this secondary school, Johnny? This is, yeah. Yeah. I can't really, musically, the reason I remember, I I have a lot of music I remember school, my secondary school about is because on these coach journeys, they would be playing Radio 1 to keep us all happy on this journey. And uh, so, you know, I was hearing all the. You'd hear all the pop music all the time, so on the way to school and on the way home from school, and so a lot of songs I remember come from that from, to, that, to do with remembering school come from that specifically. Um, and there are songs that when I hear them, I'll think straight away of school immediately. Okay. Um, and I'd I'd have to say Sledgehammer's one of them. Okay. Peter Gabriel Sledgehammer. Every time I hear that song, I'm. I can remember some, suddenly I'm in my um, history class talking yeah. about it with someone. Um, and it's kind of, it's, it's, I mean, it's a great song. And I can remember that maybe one of the reasons it's so stuck in my head is that it also it had this video at the time, the stop frame animation video that was quite amazing at the time. It was a big deal, you know, in the 80s. It's a huge deal, that video, effort, wasn't it, when it came out? People put a lot of effort into videos then because... MTV was the way most people were yeah. sort of consuming music at the time. Um, so that, that I can remember that video really, really well. But the, the recently, I can remember I was listening to Sledgehammer, and I've, just, I've got this nagging thing going on, and I, I'm just going to ask you if you feel the same way or if you, you think this could be right. It's, it's packed full of sexual innuendo, that song, for a start. It really is. If you listen to the lyrics, it's basically... For me, it's about. It sounds like he's just talking about Jiggy, but I think Sledgehammer. I think that's his. I think Peter Gabriel. That's his penis. I think his Sledgehammer is Peter Gabriel's penis. Yeah. And I think you know how people. You now some blokes have a name for their penis. Yeah. And I think Peter I said Gabriel. That really quickly then. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, Peter Gabriel. I think his his nickname for his penis is Sledgehammer. I'm convinced that that song is about his, his 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 penis. I really am. I'm convinced. No one can change my mind on this. I, I, te- I you must listen to that. I'm just Honestly. literally going through the lyrics in my <laughs> head. Uh, you could be well on the money there. I think he is. I think it's code. Yeah. I think the only person probably knows is Kate Bush. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think it's really it weird because that that I mean I remember getting that album. That was one of them kind of mid eighties huge production albums. Yeah, and 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 getting uh, it's called So, wasn't it? The album and and uh, on the strength of Sledgehammer and and obviously the the Kate Bush track and uh, and, I, and I've, I haven't listened to it for years. Um, I, I remember once maybe three or four years ago I heard REM covering. Red Rain uh, from that album. And I thought, oh, I'll give that a listen. I never went back to it. And then about a year ago, Harry Styles covered Sledgehammer. Did he? Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. There you he, go. That, Maybe he thinks this is about the penis. Right. You know, 
Because he's quite penis-centric, I believe. Is that a thing? <laughs> That's not a word. That's not a word. Well, it's one of those things you hear a lot of rumours about in, in the rock and roll world, and Harry Styles is one of these people that it's constantly rumoured about his todger being right. bigger than the normal. I don't know how I know this. It's just some, you know, you just hear these things. I don't care. So maybe that's like, I don't maybe care. It, it, it brought out the yeah. term penis-centric. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all over that. Well, it's um, all, it's, it all seems that's what it all seems to be about with that guy, from from what I can tell. I'm I, not sure it's his records. I couldn't tell you anything about him, but I, I saw uh, a thing, and, it, and he was wearing some kind of weird woolly tank top, uh, yeah. and he was always like, singing Sledgehammer, and uh, <laughs> and so I uh, I, put, I pressed play, and and I, and I just thought, and he's it's a competent cover, and I just thought, right, well, I'm now going to go and listen to Sledgehammer. Um, Oh my god! Like it's so good, isn't it's it? It's so good. You know, yeah. it's one of them records that I heard, you know, a million times in the in the eighties, and and it's it's just sounds great to the point yeah. where massive as well. I think it's so big. Has it gone? You know, long enough that I could maybe get away with playing that at the Pink Toothbrush. Would would the youngsters now be into it? I don't know. Like, I don't know. The kids seem to be back into Phil Collins, so yeah, from what I've heard. So maybe, maybe so. Was you a fan of uh, maybe so? I see what you've done there. Um, uh, so was you? Was you a fan of of, of Genesis, like the earlier stuff? Oh, uh, it's something I never really found I could get into Genesis. I don't know why. Not even the later stuff. I don't know why. Um, I do like what Peter Gabriel did around the period of Sledgehammer. And you know what? The weird thing is, is we recorded our first album in his studio. Oh, did you? So, yeah, so we we were bumping into him all the time. So that was really ultra weird for me. Is that in Bath? Yeah, that's right. It's in a village called Box. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, and... How was think, he? You know, can you imagine me wanting to say to him, is Sledgehammer about you or not? That's all I can think. Hello, Peter. Oh, yeah, it's lovely to meet you. Sledgehammer, is that about your knob? <laughs> no, no problem. Okay, bye-bye. But he's got this weird thing. He's got these eyes that when he's looking, talking to you, he looks right at you, well, obviously, but his eyes, they're, they're piercing. They're, it's really creepy. It's like you feel like he's trying to maybe sort of hypnotise you or something. It's He's got this very, you know, he's got, this, his eyes and his, his, the way he is, you can tell that he wasn't going to do anything else but what he's doing. He seems like an intense fella. Yeah, yeah. But he was actually really, really quite nice and, and lovely, which I didn't, you know, just normal, really. But just going, going back to school um, momentarily, like... I don't want to go back to school. How, no, how was it? Like your kids in locking. <laughs> go. School, I didn't really like school. I didn't like it. Not for any other reason other than I didn't like people telling me what to do with my time. Mm. I, was, I had a real problem with it. I spent quite a bit of time in corridors, I think. I wasn't really naughty, but I just had problems concentrating and stuff. Um, I just didn't like it. Was you a creative kid? Uh, yeah, very. I, the one thing I was good at at school and excelled at was art, art, definitely. I was known for it there at my school for being quite good at art. Um, and I took all my exams in art very early. I did my first O-level when I was 12. Wow. 
Um, so that was encouraged? Yeah, yeah. And then I did another O-level in art after that, and then I did an A-level all early whilst I was at secondary school. Wow. Um, yeah, so I was very, very creative. But I had a problem with concentration, which is still with me today. I can't stay focused on something unless I'm really, really into it. Yeah. And then I get too focused, if that makes sense. So, I can now see what Peter Gabriel would have done nothing. your head in then. Oh, he's... <laughs> His eyes, they're just, uh, seriously, he's all, I think he's a witch, maybe. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Sledgehammer. Uh, I've got to apologise now to people listening. I've actually brought this down to talking about Harry Styles' knob and stuff. <laughs> um, I, I can't help myself. So, so did you want to be an artist when you was at school? Um... Had, had you had sort of a fascination? Really. Had you developed a fascination with pop stars? Yeah, I, I think I always really, even in the back of my head, even if I, because you don't think it's going to actually happen, I always wanted to do being a pop band. I wanted to be on top of the pops. That's what I wanted to do when I was a kid, massively. So more than anything, this easily. is this is one of my favourite things to to ask um, guests on here um, that have appeared on top of the pops. Um, mm. For somebody, you know, we're very similar in age, Johnny, and 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 obviously anyone of our generation, Top of the Pops was such a yeah. important part of your your week. You know, yeah. it's the only place you got to see your pop stars, and mm-hmm. you know, and hopefully get get to to hear some of the records that you you know that you could probably you probably couldn't afford to buy uh, from the shops. Um, how was it for you to? be in a car going to perform on top of the pops and obviously performing on top of the pops how was that day the first time was amazing i mean it, the, the excitement levels are through the roof really you know you feel like this is it i've done it i guess in a way um just just to think to be on it once was a big deal for me to just be on that you know even if i only did it once i could die happy yeah and, and we were lucky enough to go back more times. Um, unfortunately, it's one of those things that gets really old very, very quickly. What do you mean? Because 90% of Top of the Pops was sitting around all day with nothing to do. 90% of it. Then 10% was the actual performing, you know, going on and actually singing which they used to make you sing live in those days when i was when i was on it uh so you'd get that and that would be great wonderful brilliant and they'd make sure you they had fans in the audience and stuff maybe never noticed how sometimes everyone seems to be dancing a lot because they actually used to get fans in but um yeah it can get old really quickly and the bbc you know they have a they I don't know if they've changed now, but they used to have a lot of. They like to have do things their way all the time and stuff. And sometimes it could get a little bit, you know. I don't know. Maybe we were spoiled. We just got bored too quickly because we were so. Oh, not this again! Oh, top of the pops. It's weird, isn't it? It's, when you're a kid, it's the only thing you want, and when when you get it, you try and just kind of spoil it yeah. by acting like a dick. Um, <laughs> when you first went on there, 
Did you? Yeah. Was there something unique about you going on with Armani somehow? Was it? Yeah, yeah. It's the first time anyone had been on top of the pops ever without having released a record. We hadn't released a record at all, and we did that just before, about a week before. I mean, that's fucking incredible, right? Yeah, I mean, it's history. It's BBC history. So that is cool. It is It is pretty cool. It's incredible. But we did this kind of thing. We did this. London Records were excellent with that kind of thing, with TV plug-in. Um, they were in with everyone. They were so good, the TV pluggers there. And they got us to, when they opened, made Top of the Pops, moved to L Street from Television Centre, moved out to L Street where they do EastEnders and Grange Hill. And when they first built the set, they wanted to test it out, but they needed to have a band to, to test out all the different stages with all the different cameras and lights. And so London Records got us to do it for them. So in a way, we kind of done them a favour. And I guess it was almost like a return favour. Yeah. Um, and also the guy, Rick Blacksill, who was producing Top of the Pops at the time, had come to see us play live. Um, and he he was really up for having us on. Um, and of course, if you're the, he was the first producer to do that as well, so that kind of looks good to him for him to have done that. But yeah, he was very involved in all that kind of brick pop taking over top of the pops at the time. That was very much down to Rick Blacksill because he was very into that. I think it was his decision that all people, all singers, had to sing live. Yeah, um, which is a good thing, I guess. I remember it being so exciting. I I, I, I remember like. Um, Obviously, we discussed this on the hardcore listing podcast, but I didn't. I didn't know you. Um, I, I knew that you'd, you'd you'd come to my club, you know, um, a, a fair bit, but we'd we'd never spoken. But I, I did spend quite a lot of time with uh, the guitarist in menswear, Chris, and and I remember sort of hearing that menswear were going to be on top of the pops, and it was like the first person I know is going to be on top of the pops. This is crazy. And like, yeah. and, and at the time, you know, all we'd heard was, 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 was hype, you know, about this band. And we'd seen the, the big spread in select magazine and it was like, wow, this is, this is mental. And, and then yeah. to see it, it felt really exciting. It felt, yeah. it felt punk. It felt like it, this yeah. is a band that, you know, haven't released a record and they're, did you feel like you was gonna? Did you feel like you sort of tried to cease and, and maximise that moment? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, it was for me. It was this was do or die. So I just thought I'm just going to go go for this, like yeah. piss and vinegar. Yeah. Um, I got the most complaints that week as well. I think <laughs> the BBC received. I got quite a high amount of complaints for throwing my mic stand into the audience. Really. Um, yeah, at the end, I threw my mic stand into the audience and never saw that mic stand again, <laughs> by the way. So someone in that audience smuggled it out. Brilliant. Somehow it was collapsible. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so I got a few complaints as well. And I tried to – I lashed out at one minute with my foot at the cameraman. There's a bit where I kick at the camera, and I think it upset a few old ladies or something. Brilliant. Um, That's what yeah. you're meant to do, right? Go on top yeah, of the pops. You want to upset some old well, ladies. I just, you know, I just went into full Leiden mode. Yeah. Well, let's give kids something to watch. Can you remember who else you was on mm. alongside? Who I was on there with? Yeah, what other bands? Hole. 
Hole, I remember very a lot. I remember oh. Hole, Hole, yeah. We were on there with Hole, and this actually was the start of the friendship between Chris and Eric from Hole. Yeah, it continued, and it might still continue to this day. I think maybe I don't know, but they became quite good friends. Yeah, which is really weird. Um, but yeah, I can remember Hole. I remember uh, she was just completely out of her face. Yeah. Um, and uh, Ant and Deck were doing the seeking, the introducing the yeah. bands between songs. They were they were doing the host for it, hosting for it. Ant and Deck, <laughs> who were apparently, by the way, really big menswear fans as well. Right. And um, they, whoever wrote their their what they had to say the, on the autocue, whatever, yeah. really fucked them over because they they called they called Courtney Love when they introduced. Hole, they said, This is Kurt Cobain's widow, Courtney Love. And I was sat in, no, that really happened. And I was sat in um, makeup at the time, and I just looked up at the screen and went, What the fuck did they just say? And yeah, she just went, Wait a minute, and just stopped everything. She was going, Cut, cut, you can't fucking say that. She went absolutely mental. And they they just read it off the autocue, and she's screaming at the minute. Poor little London Deck could just stand in there going, that was this. I mean, she was she was scary. Yeah. You know, she was a, she she was very very frightening. You wouldn't and want to be on the wrong just, end of her. Would yeah, you? and basically they had to redo the whole thing. But yeah, I could not believe. Her. I was like, oh no, this is going to kick off. Yeah, she went absolutely batshit. And, and, oh, and rightly so, I right. guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was really insensitive. I couldn't believe it. Even the lady in the makeup place was like, "This is oh my god, how could they have said that?" Yeah. Track four, Johnny. The first song you remember buying from a record shop. This was a difficult one, actually, because I I don't really remember this, and it's I've I've been asked it before, and the best I can come up with is it was either Beat It, nineteen eighty two, Michael Jackson, or Do They Know It's Christmas, which was nineteen eighty four. Yeah, that's one of them. No, no real particular reason. Um, just so where where was where was record shopping for you back then? Um, probably somewhere really lame like W H Smiths. Yeah, like most. I was, was only little. Yeah, yeah, on the corner there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then as I got older, there was a H and V which used to be in a big department store called That's Keddies right. before right. it moved on the corner. Yeah, and then it moved to Queen Street, is it, where um, yeah. Golden Disc used to be? I think Golden Remember Disc Golden is still Disc? there. No, no, it went ages ago. Are you sure? I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I think it's still I think there. it went, is it? Mm. Well, that, yeah, that was like the, the place you worked up to as you got older. Yeah. So you kind of started maybe at WH Smith's, then HMV and Kiddies, maybe our price up to High Street. And then finally, when you went to college... <laughs> He was allowed. You started going. You started to go to uh, Golden Disc yeah. in Southend, which was a very well-known record, indie records, independent record store. Um, and that whole that that store, as well as Southend, is actually all included in the um, Every Day's Like Sunday video. That's right. Yeah. So that that shop, he go they they go in record shop. Mm. That is Golden Disc, which is infamous. Yeah. So that's that's what I worked up to. That was when I knew I'd graduated to full indie boy status. <laughs> You'd earn your stripes. Yeah. 
Um, can you remember the first time you saw one of your records in a record shop? One of mine? Yeah. No, I don't know. What do you mean? Like, do I remember? I, yeah, can you remember like walking in and going, fucking hell, there's no. a menswear record? No, no, no. No, I didn't do that. You sound like, the, you know, that would be vain to, to, to do that. Do you think no, so? No, it's just weird. It's just weird to me. I mean, I remember going past Tower Records in London and they had a huge window display um, when they when we brought out the album Nuisance. And that was, that to me, it was really, it was a real head swivel. I really sort of did my head in, really, if anything. I was like, oh, my God, that's a lot. It's a bit much. <laughs> that's a bit much. You take that <laughs> down, <window. laughs> please take that down come on have some decency i just felt it felt you know it's kind of weird sometimes you can feel a little bit embarrassed you know especially if you're seen in a shop looking at something like that and then someone sees you looking at your own record in a record shop you know what i mean that's going to end up straight in the letters page of nme the next week and you're going to look like a bit of a dick yeah I don't know. I think that fear of that getting caught, yeah, probably stopped me. I was far too cool for that, Stuart. <laughs> far, far too cool. Far too cool customer for that kind of nonsense. That's that's amateur behaviour. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've never even bought mine. I mean, that would be even worse. Imagine yeah, buying it. You can't do that. That is dreadful. I wonder if any. I'm sure people have done it, but oh dear. Definitely, on all on all formats to try and charge to try and charge in, in disguise. Yeah, <laughs> just walking into like your local air price in various outfits, looking like a character from Guess Who, just buying the same. Uh... I reckon. I reckon Madonna still does it. <laughs> Do you know what? It's really weird <laughs> the only, you say the that. Only explanation for songs getting it. She just goes in and buys every single one. I can tell you how it happens because I went to see Madonna. <laughs> Um, about six, seven years ago, she played Hyde right. Park. And, right, yeah. uh, and growing up in the eighties, the, the you know, like, like yourself, um, Madonna released some great pop music. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, uh, and then as far as I'm concerned, she stopped releasing great pop music and started releasing mm. stuff that didn't speak to me any longer. But I just thought Madonna's going to play you know, I never got to see True Blue or Blonde Ambition or anything like that. So it's like, right, I'm going to go and watch Madonna and uh, just so I can say I've seen Madonna play live. Um, one mm. of the worst gigs I've ever witnessed. Um, wow. It was truly awful. Um, <laughs> literally, when I bought the ticket, I think it was £90, but the full ticket price was something like £102. Because hell. you had to buy her new album download as part of the ticket deal. Uh, right, yeah. So instantly, however many people are in Hyde Park, 30,000. Like you two slipping their album into your iTunes. Yeah. Against your will. Yeah. yeah. So that That's... album instantly was going to have 30,000 yeah. extra sales. Which then, not that long ago, would have been a big deal. Definitely. Probably would have took it to number one. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. Mad. She... Oh. She... Now she looks like a thumb. It's... She? <laughs> her face has been so... Stretched back. I don't. It, she's un, in, unrecognisable to me. The last couple of years, she's, her face has just become like. Yeah. I don't like to do this, shaming people for the way they look, but she's gone a bit far. Yeah. I think she, she didn't need to do that. 
and it's really weird. She didn't need to do anything. She's Madonna. Do you know yeah. what I mean? She's her legacy is there. Odd now. Like, um, and it was so strange, Johnny. She she just played pretty much her new album, and nobody was really that interested. And then I think she right. played. I think she played like a little bit of like started playing like a virgin, I think. And then after about a minute, merged it into like one of her new songs. Oh God! And it was like, oh man. And yeah. I think she played like maybe Ray of Light and she didn't play like Get Into the Groove, Papa Don't Preach, Open Your Heart, all of the really good pop songs. I thought, you know what? I find that really, um, that shows a lot of disdain towards your audience. Completely. Completely sort of shitting, shit, especially for the back ticket price. It's yeah. kind of shitting on people. Yeah. You should be giving people, fair enough, play some new songs, but you should also do a good deal of your favourites. Definitely. If you're not, it's like that. It's, the, that's out of order. It is out of order, mate. And, and the weirdest thing was, at the end, she walked off stage, and it was like, right, what's going to be the encore? And it was like, and I thought, holiday, amazing. She's going to play holiday. And then the lights come up on the audience, and the video, the pop video of holiday, come up on the screens, and that was what? it. What? She didn't play it. It was just the video on screens to like soundtrack you that's, walk out of Hyde Park. Yeah, that's it, kind of like um, saying, I, I can do this, isn't it? I don't care about you. I can do this. It was that's just, what that says to me. It it's just, just saying, that's two fingers at yeah. the audience, I think. But, saying, I'm Madonna and I can do this if I want. I could have done this for my whole gig. I could have played you videos. And you wouldn't I have wish complained. you would have. I would have had a better time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh. Track five, Johnny. The song that soundtrack your years clubbing. Oh, this is this one was easy. This comes from an album which soundtracked those years as well. It's "Don't Fight It, Feel It" by Primal Scream. Wonderful. Um, so nineteen ninety one ish. I mean, that really, really it reminds me being absolutely sold on ecstasy in clubs. Um, just really, really hitting the ceiling to that song. Yeah. It is so, so good. But that, that, that whole entire album is amazing. Yeah. Um, but that song, and I realised when I wrote this that three people involved in making that record are now gone. Yeah. Passed away. Denise Williams, um, Johnson very recently. Yeah. Um, Andrew Weatherall at the beginning of the year and Robert Young died Rob. a few years ago. Mm. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, really weird. It's... But, yeah. And sad. Yeah. But what a song. What an um, album. A song to leave behind. Yeah, I mean, that album definitely was my clubbing album. Getting Ready to Go Out album as yeah. well, definitely. So where was clubbing so, in 91? Uh, I think you know. It was the toothbrush then. Yeah, yeah, I'd have been going there quite a lot. Definitely. Yeah. Um. So I've just admitted to taking drugs in your club. Right. Podcast is over, mate. Finished. (laughs) (laughs) I had to do something to make it good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely over now. (laughs) (laughs) No, but, yeah, don't do that, kids, by the way. Yeah. So, And if you do, if you do, drink plenty of water, but not too much. Yeah. Yeah, so be be sensible. Be sensible. Did you find ecstasy 
a, a, a complete revelation. Like, you know, it's very well documented at that point of time, that second summer of love, I guess, and, and yeah. you know, that fusion of electronic music and guitar music and stuff. Like, Was that a, a real jolt for you? Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was the first time, I think, that guitar music and dance music started to become the same kind of thing. You'd yeah. go to, like, raves and stuff, and they would put in things like Sympathy for the Devil, mm. you know, during their set. Um, so it was kind of getting there. Yeah. Um, and then the album, Scream Delica, kind of was a statement of intent, really. It kind of changed everything, I think, especially in dance music. That Definitely. album had a massive, massive impact. Couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, it's kind of with that. They've got that guitar indie and sort of dance thing yeah i think that i think the the one thing they both had in common weirdly was mod yeah um raves to me were like mods model nighters that they used to have yeah. in the 60s where they would take loads of uh speed and just dance all night yeah and it was a very very similar culture and indie had that as well and they kind of met on the dance floor didn't they mm-hmm. and it wasn't just there it was lads mm. so it's the first time in the People on the terraces were starting to take a watching football teams. Yeah. And they got into it. Um, it changed. It really did. That little drug changed culture quite drastically, yeah. I think, yeah. um, for a, quite a while. Um, then I think it just sort of like everything like that, it started to go south because um, people start making money. The of quality of what people are selling starts to dip. People start dying. So yeah, God, this just got serious. Well, let, let's <laughs> let's take it back to uh, to Essex for track six, mm. Johnny. Favorite song from an artist from your home county? Oh, this this again. This was easy. It would be um, well, it wasn't easy. I will tell you why. Because I was born in Wiltshire. Oh, okay. Then I spent some time in Germany, but most most of my life not most of my life's been in London. But I spent growing up most of my growing up years was spent in Essex. So I'm going to go for Essex. Because um, if it's Wiltshire, I can only think of Peter Gabriel again. <laughs> He's had his um, moment with his sledgehammer. Yeah, with his. <laughs> oh dear! <laughs> uh, I'm never going to live. Oh, I'm going to hear. Be... Oh, I shouldn't have said this. <laughs> I'm going to be hearing about this all the time now. <laughs> the, the Peter Gabriel knob theory. Depression <laughs> um, mode. Enjoy the silence. Wonderful. That simple. Again, great song. I think it, it had a massive impact as well. It was around that same time, wasn't it? Early 90s, late 80s, very late 80s, maybe 89. I think it, it was 89. Yeah. Um, amazing. The great thing about this song, I've got a little story about this, is that I went to Southend Technical College after school and did the same course as Dave Garn did because he went to this as well. He went to the same college as me, did the same course as me, and apparently, according to the lecturer I had then, in my first year, we both sat in the same place. Really? Yeah. So that chair, that place, might must be blessed in some way. So that kind of space, right near Half- Halfords, for anyone who wants to know where this is, it was above Halfords, this annex, yeah. where I used to study um, graphics. It was at Halfords, which is right by the Victoria underpass. Right, that 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 spot there for some reason, it's like the South End sort of success 
spot. I like to go think, there and sit there. I like to think that that chair now is a deck <laughs> chair, and like, and you get the cloak and the crown whenever <laughs> you sit in it now. <laughs> That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> On the on the beach, yeah, totally covered in rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> so, were, were mode a, a big band for you in general? Like a, a um, head before, like uh, violator no, and weirdly, stuff. Wordly, wordly, weirdly, they weren't before that song. I mean, obviously, they were a huge band. They were a massive arena band. So I knew about them, and I liked I liked synth music, and I love synth pop. They were never a band I got heavily into and actually bought their albums, just maybe listened to singles. Mm. But that song was, for me, a turning point with them when I started to go, no, this band, that's amazing, because it is an incredible tune, Mm. really, really good. Um, And I started to sort of delve back into their past a bit more after that song. Mm. So I came into them a bit Johnny-come-lately. But, yeah, that. That record is awesome. And, of course, there is the Garn-Dean connection. Yes. Uh, so I'd like to go in there, actually, and see that and maybe get a blue plaque put up. For you or for Garn? For both of us. <laughs> the Garn-Dean connection. You can share it with me. I don't mind, Dave. <laughs> you can share a plaque with me. <laughs> so was that, the, uh, was that also the... Um art college that Jake Schillingford went to as well. Oh, it possibly is, yeah. Because his dad was a a lecturer, I believe, at at Safin Tech. There were only two real sort of sixth form colleges at that point. I mean, there's a uni there now. Mm. It's a uni town, isn't it, now? Mm. But but back then there was just Safin Tech. And then a bit away out of Safin, there was another place called Civic. Yeah, Benfleet. So you either went there or you went to South End Tech, but yeah. the art department at Tech was much, much better, so mm. I would have thought, yeah, he did. Okay. So it's a, obviously it's a quite a blessed place. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But I do, do remember that being a big deal. With, or, I mean, I, I, I guess with art students it is anyway, but music was a very big deal to everyone, I think, at I, that college. I think everybody, you know, if you grow up in Essex, everybody's got some sort of... Depeche Mode story that's that, yeah. that's, that's very loose, very loose. Oh, uh, my, mine, if mine's not loose, no, yours is legit. Yours is legit. Solid. Come on, but the, the, on. The, 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 my, my greatest one uh, that that is that the amount of people that claim to have. Um, I, I'm interested in if you was there. Uh, people claimed to have been at Pearl Jam at the Esplanade, and uh, people claim to have been there. <laughs> people. People do that? What? You're taking the piss, mate. That's not something people do. I would would keep that quiet, personally. I I won't, yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, Is that a thing? Like, massively. I mean, they played there when um, just as Alive come out, and obviously just ahead of them being stadium, you know, fillers forever. Um, and they played the Esplanade, which I don't know if you played the Esplanade. Right. Yeah, no, no, but yeah, I mean, it's a it's a small, small, yeah. regular, small, long room, isn't it? Yeah, kind of, yeah. not very big venues. So yeah, I mean, yeah, and that's just, quite cool. I've met about yeah. five hundred people Thanks, that claim to have been there. It'd be better if it was Nirvana, but you know, I yeah. guess you know. But you've got to remember, Stuart, that whole thing, that whole grunge. I would never have been seen dead going to a grunge gig at the time. The, mm. the only grunge album I ever got and listened to and thought, yeah, this is quite good, was was the Nirvana album, yeah. Nevermind. 
the rest of grunge just i didn't i couldn't get into it have you totally since have you I, since explored it like of some course, of what we tried to kill it you know mm. and we did i think i, I think in this it, undeniably what what happened in the mid 90s with with you know with the term Britpop was it did definitely take the you know especially in the well, obviously in the uk it took the shine mm. and the attention away from what from, was, from what was predominantly yeah. you know uh alternative music was being governed by you know what was coming over from america yeah i think also the death of cobain in 1994 mm. kind of helped that was like a nail in the coffin as well mm. to that scene because mm. uh, that's when we kind of took a, all the bands that Britpop bands really started to go right. This is this is the moment, I guess. Um, but yeah, before I, I just get to the, the the last track, Johnny, j- j- just on that moment there when you said the Britpop band started to kind of you know the trajectory really sort of started to hit. Like, how did you find that? You know, you, you, obviously you mentioned you didn't like walking past Tower Records and seeing your face in the in the in the window, but mm. you know because. Because of the pop sensibilities of a lot of your records, you know, you was not just, you know, Melody Maker and NME, Smash It's Loved You and, and things like that. Yeah. And it was like, how did you find the attention? It's a double-edged sword, anything like that. Um, obviously, it's good because you're selling records and that's, what you're, that's your job. Um, but, but from someone like me, who's on the um, autistic spectrum, it can be very problematic. And it just had the effect of making me withdraw even more because I used to get so much shit from people um, all the like all the time when I went out that I just got tired of it. And I got tired of the amount of press we were doing. I started to think that this is overkill. No, this isn't me slagging off the people who did our press or anything because they did a stellar job. But for me, I started to think it was a bit too much. I felt that we were, for what we were, which was basically just a little indie pop band, the the ambition behind what the record label wanted us to be was a bit too much. Like they were expecting us to do Blur immediately. They expected us to do Part Life straight away and they totally forgot that Blur had to do leisure and modern life is rubbish before they got to part life. Yeah. But they expected us to do be part life immediately, mm. which is, is, that's a big ask um, for a band that have only been together for like six hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's not an exaggeration either. Is no, it? <laughs> no, it's not. It's really not. Um, it, it's, it really isn't. So, and that's a shame because that's when really that whole thing really took, took, became the controlling factor in success as if your first record album single whatever didn't do particularly well that was it for you you were dropped there was no developing artists over time yeah you know and i I would have if i could do it again i would think along those terms more and probably say no to a lot more things yeah but at the same time that's what menzo was about it was about that flash like a flash of sort of brilliance and then poof, gone. Yeah. And I also think, you know, I've spoken to the others and, and one thing I've said to them is we should have split up after being brave. We should have just gone fuck it um, and left on that as it hit top 10. 
and just done the one album and then gone and done other stuff. And maybe that would have been a better way of doing it, but you can't. That's when you're looking back, it seems yeah, to say at the time, you know, you're really young and it's your job and you're paying bills and stuff. And that's what you're worried about more than anything, so, you know. Okay. Final track, Johnny. This is when you get to play DJ. A song well, that many may not know that you would like I, them to hear. I, I, I find this really difficult as well. Because it's not it's, necessarily got to be an obscure song or anything. Just no, a song no, that you no, think... no, no. Um, I'll tell you what. I, there's, a, there's an artist, I can't remember her name, but she's a really good, she's hip-hop. She's a hip-hop artist. Um, and she's called Lake Kelly. Have you heard her? Uh, like Kelly 47, I think. Let me just look, so I'm probably completely wrong. Yeah, like Kelly 47. And she did this song called Girl Blunt, which is awesome. Um, so I'd say at the moment, listen to that. And you probably won't expect me to say listen to that, but I'm kind of quite into my female hip-hop artists, and I've been for a bit. Um because they seem to be making really good stuff that no one else is doing as well. Um, and that, that song is really, really good. So that one. Well, we put together a Spotify buy. playlist to accompany this right. with all the tracks oh, okay. that we've, we've spoken about. So I'll ensure that, um, that that is on there. Um, Johnny, I've really enjoyed chatting. Uh, I knew this would be a fun chat because when we, we finished doing hardcore listing on, on, on the drive home, Chris and I was like, that was a lot of fun and the reaction yeah. we had to that podcast was great and uh excellent and yeah thank you so much for your time well, today, you, mate. you got me to talk about peter gabriel's todger so <laughs> I think, you know what, what more could anyone want seriously come on come on johnny thanks so much mate and you thank you pleasure there you go i told you you'd enjoy that um just just a top fella johnny um really really like it's the second time that that i've sat and chatted uh records with 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 johnny um as mentioned at the beginning if you do get a chance to head over to the hardcore listing um podcast and check out uh johnny talking about um david bowie records and and we didn't i, I purposely didn't go into it again uh, on this podcast because we'd had that conversation on the hardcore listing chat but go and find out why we we, we speak about why a menswear film would be absolutely crackers because we we go into it on that podcast about the journey and how it was so much of it was telling people they were in a band before they were even in a band and having to play to every record company in the country with literally two songs uh that they had to write on the quick it's it's a really mad insight into uh what almost appears to be a blag but then you know, out of that comes some some great pop records. Um, um, yeah, that's all discussed there. Um, and like I say, if you enjoy listening to people talking um, about that kind of mid-90s period of, of Britpop and, and, and such, then in the archives there's, there's bundles of um, people that, you know, had incredible commercial success, you know, like Johnny did um, throughout that period. So um, go and get lost in some of them chats over there. Um, that's me done. Um, you can find out about everything off the beaten track podcast.com. Have a lovely week and I'll see you next time. Bye bye. I've got an announcement. Save our souls clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk. Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right.
go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk official sponsors of Off The Beaten Track Podcast. It's Off The Beaten Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Welcome back to Two Judgy Girls. I'm Mary from the Bay. And I'm Courtney from LA. TJG is the podcast where we spill all the tea on your favorite reality TV shows, celebrity gossip, and everything in between. We're here to bring you our unfiltered opinions, hilarious commentary, and plenty of laughs along the way. We're two SDSU Delta Gamma sisters with a microphone and a whole lot of opinions. Each week, we dive headfirst into the wild world of reality television from Bravo to all the trash TV you could want. We break down the drama, dissect the latest scandals, and share our thoughts on everything from the jaw-dropping moments to the embarrassing antics. But that's not all. We're not here to just gossip. We're here to connect with you, the jurors, and share our love of all things pop culture. Whether we're dishing on the latest celebrity breakups, discussing our favorite guilty pleasure movies, or sharing embarrassing stories from our own lives, we promise to keep it real, keep it fun, and keep you coming back for more. Come judge with us. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. 
www.acast.com.